0: Thursday night edition of the Dungtown Basketball Podcast after a hiatus yesterday. We are back today with discussion of this absolute shocker. In Game 6, Kawhi Leonard, as expected, did not play, and San Antonio throttled the Rockets By 39 points, we'll get into how that happened, why it happened, what happened to James Harden in this game. Then we're going to do some off-season previews, the fascinating LA Clippers, and the somewhat less fascinating, but still pretty interesting, actually, Memphis Grizzlies, who have a number of free agents themselves. Our sponsors today, Ball & Branch, B-O-L-L, and Branch, get $50 off your first set of sheets, plus free shipping in the U.S. when you use that cap space code, and CISO. Go to CISO.com right now and sign up for two weeks free using the promo code CAPSPACE at checkout for some awesome comedy so before we get into this game itself you had an interesting thought on twitter of just where does this rank among the most shocking results in a playoff game compared to the pre-game expectations and you really have to look back at some of the more shocking games in recent nba history
1: you really do because while these teams were pretty evenly matched despite having very disparate outcomes in a lot of these games kawhi leonard being out for the entirety and being ruled out you know before the game started there was no drama with that i think it happened like an hour or two before the game so you're kind of sitting there going okay you know i have a a sense of where this is going houston's playing at home they've you know they've done a good they've done a pretty good job in this series and they got the doors blown off like this wasn't even it wasn't even close and and that's what made it so so startling to me was not that they lost though that was surprising i mean we talked before the game started about what we thought the odds were that that san antonio would win but i don't think either of us would have put it above like a one percent chance that they just got smacked
0: yeah you thought they would just slow it down and like maybe you know they could hold on and it'd be close at the end and houston would be tired at the end or something like that but this was not that at all and, and i mean to me this is right up there we put it out there one of the suggestions was just game seven of, of the 2016 finals as much shocking i thought this was much more shocking because i felt all those games I mean the Cavs were coming off just having blown the Warriors out by 30 points the game before and had won the previous two games I would go back to Houston Clippers game six in 2015 and not even I'm not talking about even during the game when the Clippers led by 19 but just beforehand Chris Paul had missed one of the first or two of the first games and then they came back the Clippers were on fire after having defeated San Antonio they had destroyed Houston at home in games three and four so you felt like that they were sure to win that another one San Antonio miami in game four in 2014 when san antonio had won comfortably in game three and you felt like all right miami has got to win this now in game four at home and then they just completely didn't respond got blown out again and probably the biggest one that i would point to would be cleveland and boston in game five 2010 where lebron james shot like three out of 14 and Cleveland lost 120 to 88 to what is like a pretty miserable Boston offense. I and mean, that Cleveland team, you know, everyone thought th- they were going to the finals. They were going to win the championship. They were the number one seed in the East, they had 160 games. That Boston team had struggled to, they were 500 over their last 54 games of the season. And then they just worked them. I mean, I can't remember the feeling of that. And that's the famous LeBron leaving the court, like taking his jersey off. And I was like, is that the last time he's ever going to do it in Quick Loans Arena? And it was for quite a time. And then the other one that I looked at too, Golden State and Dallas, but there really wasn't a single game in that series that was just like so particularly shocking because by the end, Golden, you know, the game one, it's like, all right, you know, you can get a shocker sometimes in game one when Golden State won that. And then by the time you got to game six, which ended up being a blowout as well, Golden State had been outplaying them throughout the series. So there wasn't one individual game that was like some huge shocker in that series, but this and just like not only the fact That They lost, but just getting rolled like this, just having no energy. James Harden just looked like he was like, I mean, Stephen A. Smith said on the ESPN broadcast after the game that he looked like he'd been drugged and like he did. It, It really was an apt, an apt metaphor.
1: You know that one of my favorite descri- descriptions to make for turnovers in particular is whether it is a forced or an unforced error. Kind of going back to tennis and James Harden's turnovers in the early part of this game, of which there were many. You know, he had five in the first half. He had five points in the first half. Most of them were at least were lightly forced at most, and that that's not trying to kill the Spurs. Like oh, they're doing that. They were just taking advantage of Harden playing horrendous, horrendous, horrendous basketball I mean he
0: had two turnovers in the first quarter one where he just threw a hit ahead pass to Ariza that hit ahead is probably way too kind for the speed that it had he just lofted it 50 feet in the air got intercepted he had one play where DeJounte Murray just like picked him off in the backcourt then in the second quarter one of the the turnovers that we featured on dunked on video today where he just threw it right to Patty Mills after he tried to draw a follow it was just it it seemed like mentally he just wasn't there and physically he, he had no juice. And the numbers that you looked into really bore that out.
1: So thanks to sport view cameras, we can get a much better sense of how a player moves and how quickly. And Harden ran 2.05 miles in this game, which was about the same as Patty Mills. So you might go, oh, okay. You know, look at that. About the same as Patty Mills. Patty Mills played seven fewer minutes in this game than Harden did. And his average miles per hour was slower than every player on the floor, other than Bobby Brown, who only played in garbage time and was similar. His his speed was slower but similar to marcus souls in the playoffs and slower than every nba player including demarcus cousins during the regular season
0: it was really incredible and granted he was guarding in the post a fair amount of that time so he didn't need to move as much and he always is kind of slow and that's not the death now if you're holding the ball handling at the top running pick and rolls you're not running off of screens in the half court but usually he's a ridiculous in transition I don't think he came even close to having one transition basket in this game and you know there was one play that was notable early on where he gets the defensive rebounder I can't remember if it was a rebounder an outlet and Pau Gasol and David Lee are both behind him and both of those guys and so he's got the advantage situation and both of those guys beat him down the floor and are like back on defense in like easy order it was just such an odd performance he didn't take his first shot at Attempt until I think six minutes remained in the first half. He had more field goals are more turnovers than field goals in this game he only had two field goals and six turnovers seven assists which is not that much ended up fouling out as well he had three fouls in the first half and, and D'Antoni took him out and looked like he almost was happy to be able to frankly uh because it was such a struggle and the other thing that was amazing it's not like Houston at least you know in the fourth quarter when it was total garbage time they couldn't score at all but through the first three quarters they actually shot like 37 percent on three pointers they were 13 out of 33. That's not bad. It's a lot of threes to get up. But they're, the two-point shooting that they had caused, again, by the Spurs going big, Pau Gasol, LaMarcus Aldridge were just huge, stopping the Houston Rockets at the rim.
1: Yeah, I mean, Houston was not getting to... The, in the. They were not taking shots in the restricted area nearly as much as they want to. The Spurs were doubling them up, I think, in, either, was it either at the end of the first quarter or midway through the second, the first time I looked at it. The Spurs had like 20 attempts in the restricted area. And overall... Houston only scored 78.4 points per 100 possessions when James Harden, James Harden was on the four in this game.
0: Yeah. And again, that, that skewed a little bit by the fourth quarter when I think they were just like so demoralized, but I'll give you some stats. Do you want, for do you want first, me to give you for the first quarter. three
1: quarters? I can dig it out.
0: Yeah. now let's see it. I mean, I've got a few for you. Yeah, Houston was 11 to 29. They shot 38% on threes. So that wasn't the problem. The problem was on twos, they were six out of 16 in the restricted area, a further one out of five from floater range. That's just completely miserable with all. So seven out of 21 in the paint. And they only took one mid-ranger, true mid-range shot outside the paint in the first three quarters. And then also the turnovers were bad, but those didn't kill me either. They only had 11. That's not like such a ridiculous amount. They got to the foul line a reasonable amount seven out of seventeen out of twenty four. It's just they couldn't score at the rim. It, it was insane. And meanwhile, San Antonio, despite going four out of seventeen on their own three pointers, they worked them on the offensive glass, which continued going early into the fourth quarter. Uh, San Antonio led by twenty three after the after the third, but you know obviously they outscored them by a, a further almost twenty points in the fourth, and so that meant that San Antonio shot. 17 out of 26 at the rim. I Remember, again, this is through three quarters. And then a further 8 out of 14 in the paint. But where they really completely destroyed him was in mid-range, 11 out of 16. 70% almost for mid-range. And that was LaMarcus Aldridge just completely eviscerating this Houston teams. It appears that the complaints about him being overpaid were a bit premature.
1: In the first three quarters, Aldridge had 28 points on 13 of 23 shooting and he only got to the line twice. He had two of two, only two of two from the line was comfortable basically on every guy the Rockets put on him and was helpful defensively. I mean, that wasn't certainly the forte of his game, but he was the closest he has been to undeniable since his time in Portland to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, he did have a couple of 40-point games in the first two games against OKC last year, but uh, I mean, that was more kind of pick and pops. This was him just going to work mostly in the post and absolutely eviscerating Ryan Anderson. They would get the switch. On Harden, Clint Capella even was a little bit better, but still largely powerless. And I thought it really just Aldridge knowing that he just had to be the guy and produce, and they were just going to give it to him and give it to him and give it to him as much as he could take. Because I, you know, it seemed like their strategy initially was, "Hey, we're just going to go into the post every time, and you know, we're going to grind it out and try to slow them down because obviously they're going to miss Kawhi on defense too." You thought so they're going to try and slow Houston down, like control tempo by going into the post. And so I think just the fact that he knew he was going to keep getting the ball was huge. And he was just so much more decisive with his moves. He was getting separation. And most of all, you know, the ball was just going in on on some of these contested jumpers. But I did think that he was getting better looks in this game, either by turning and facing and shooting over the top, which is something Jeff Van Gundy suggested that he could do on the low post, driving and getting to his right hand. He also had four offensive boards. He just was unbelievable in this one.
1: A couple of other ridiculous things from the first three quarters of this game. You talked about some how San Antonio their offense was fueled by two pointers another crazy part of that is that they only attempted five free throws in the first three quarters and yet still led by 23 they had a 5 to 24 free throw disparity attempt disparity in the first three quarters but also you talked about that they had a lot of offensive rebounds they had nine they only had eight second chance points but they had 50 points in the paint they almost outscored the rockets in the paint alone in those first three quarters
0: We would not be complete without discussing the 19 to 3 run that we featured in uh, dunked on video which was accomplished mostly with the Spurs reserves in the game DeJounte Murray uh, had an excellent game even though he only had uh, four points in the first three quarters overall though he he was important in them maintaining the lead early into the fourth he and I thought he was excellent defensively Murray finished five out of ten with 11 points also had 10 rebounds he was big on the on the glass and then uh five assists for murray kyle anderson chipped in with a big three-pointer a couple of soft mid-rangers kept the ball moving as well uh he was plus nine in only 11 minutes he was out there when, when they were doing well three assists for anderson david lee was plus 17 in his eight minutes in the first half and Jonathan Simmons was really the second best player probably actually you know what I, I might actually say that Pau Gasol was their second best player in this game because of what the problems that he caused around the rim for the Spurs but John Simmons was right up there too and he was 7-11 from the field he had 15 points and was plus 19 through the first three quarters
1: he looked so much more comfortable as an offensive player than I've really ever seen from him in this in the last couple of games of the series driving a couple of nice drives a couple really nice finishes that that we've seen before but was very impressed with him overall he will be a big part of the western conference finals even if he's presumably not going to start and yes i mean san antonio's role players really came out in this one i thought manu even though he's shooting numbers weren't great i thought he played some nice help defense you know was kind of there when they needed somebody yeah. and kyle anderson we've criticized him many times for good reason but he moved the ball well at a couple of key moments in this game and so did and so did lee they were each had some nice passes
0: yeah and with houston basically moving in molasses it was a lot easier for uh, for Sloma to keep up. And overall, 28 assists through the first three quarters for San Antonio, a team that has not really been that high in the assist rankings of late. And, and they really, it was Aldridge in the post, obviously, who was killing. But then whenever he didn't score himself, it was either him or Gasol getting double team and swinging it around or just I mean that second unit that started the second quarter with Lee at center Anderson at power forward they were playing like beautiful old school Spurs basketball not old old school but old school like 2014 style Spurs basketball just driving and kicking relentlessly they had a a bunch of guys who could put the ball on the floor Murray Simmons Patty Mills was out there during that time Lee had some nice finishes in the pick and roll he had some nice passes and it was really like incredible to watch what they were doing and then they didn't turn it over at all either and so that led to them taking 22 more shot attempts grand part of that was due to free throws uh then the rockets did through the first three quarters
1: it might be impossible to overstate how ridiculous the disparity was especially compared to especially compared to expectations but also you know the rockets were missing some shots you'd expect them to make but it wasn't like they were doing that all the time this wasn't like a true worst case scenario everything goes wrong in the traditional sense of like ah you know it's a make or miss league they just sucked
0: I mean, a lot of this too was just all right. They got to the rim, they missed a lot of layups. Some of them were contested, but some of them were just like bonked. Yeah, that's uh, true. And San Antonio going 11 out of 16 for mid range. I mean, that's not something that happens. And so you always, so part of it, I think, you know, Houston wasn't as bad, especially during that run. Uh, you know, they missed like four wide open threes in a row during that yeah, that's, run. Yeah, that,
1: that's a fair point.
0: Uh, so if they make a couple of those maybe it's not as bad but Harden certainly I mean there's no denying the way that he looked and played and the lack of juice that he had Patrick Beverly we didn't see the impact from him he only took three shot attempts and uh, didn't have a steal he wasn't pressuring up the way you expected him to it just seemed like they weren't getting any loose balls, any hustle plays. The closeouts just weren't happening for them. They just looked like an exhausted team. And, I mean, it, you just struggle, though, to find an explanation for Harden in particular. Uh, to not even have energy on offense It was just pr- pretty remarkable and And maybe, you know, someone noted that after he got clocked in the face in game five, he really kind of wasn't the same in that game. And then he wasn't. So maybe he was like feeling some kind of effects from that. I mean, that's that's total speculation. Or maybe he was just exhausted and maybe he should have actually not been fighting so hard for the regular season MVP and gotten some rest uh, so that he would have the type of vigor that the Spurs had in this series.
1: A couple of hustle stats since I already had the tab up and you mentioned it. The Rockets only had two screen assists in this entire game, both of which were Ryan Anderson, who didn't score. And the Spurs, this is a stat that Chris Herring, our, our friend who works for five hundred thirty eight, had. San Antonio contested 34 of Houston's 43-point shots, which is incredibly impressive
0: yeah that's from the hustle stats not the sport view stats so i'm not sure like what how those percentages differ but that's that's still pretty impressive uh and and, you know again houston it's not like they missed a a ton of shots uh from three-point range in the first three quarters like that wasn't the problem not hitting enough threes uh a few other little notes here john simmons scored in double figures in five of the six games in this series and he had scored more than 10 in just one of his nine career playoff games before this Houston scored 75 points. It was their second lowest in any game during the James Harden era uh, for Ben Golliver uh, and lowest in the playoffs. And it just was a it was just a crazy game I I, I was shocked by it we were shocked by it I mean it just seemed like all of a sudden you looked up and you're like this is an 18 point game like what is going on here and you always felt like Houston would make a run and they never even did that I don't I think the lowest they got it under was like 19 points maybe in the second half like you felt like okay maybe they could make a run they went down 30 then they got it to 22 with eight straight points and you're like oh maybe this will be the start of it early in the third and then nothing happened again uh just absolutely remarkable end and and you just you can't say enough about the spurs and their culture and if this had happened in the regular season i mean probably even a blowout would be surprised but you felt like all right you know teams this happens in the regular season because teams just like take the spurs lightly and and you know if Kawhi sits out or whatever it doesn't matter like that's what they just have their system teams aren't prepared for them whatever uh but they still had some great players and some proud players and houston other than for the second half of game four and the first half of game five maybe even the first quarter of game five they never really figured out how to deal with san antonio's strategy of just leaving the bigs back by the rim and they just shot extremely poorly over them at the rim and you know bob vulgaris has made this point that if you're just never going to shoot mid-rangers and you don't have guys who are even used to taking those shots that may maybe that just means that if you decide as a team all right we'll just give them that entire area of the court maybe you can actually be successful if you are as smart and disciplined and you have the defenders that San Antonio does uh but I don't even know how much of it was that it's just like you know San Antonio's defenders wore down Houston over the course of the series and then San Antonio's size like once Nene went out uh they just couldn't deal with it they tried playing Anderson together with Capella that didn't really work at all either they start, those two guys started the second half together Uh, the Anderson at center lineups which we had been calling for ended up getting worked uh, pretty badly they never made Pau Gasol defend in space really at all Uh, and Pop did a great job of slotting him into matchups where he could be successful guarding Capella Uh, they put LaMarcus Aldridge on Trevor Ariza and LaMarcus Aldridge was unbelievable guarding Trevor Ariza and then also being effective still uh, at the rim defensively is just really a triumph for the San Antonio Spurs and one that I to start the. Series. I mean, I would not to say I didn't think they could do it, but I I thought that they. I picked Houston in six, obviously. Then after game two, I actually changed my pick. Um, this might be unfair to shovel dirt on uh this guy's season, but do you think that Tony Parker going out actually like ended up being a boon for the Spurs ultimately?
1: I think more more yes than no. Though there's plenty of on both sides. Patty Mills is a much better defender, and I think that really helped San Antonio out in some key moments. I think that difference mattered more in game five than any other game in this series but game five was on a razor's Edge, so that's certainly fair and DeJounte uh, well, Murray, here,
0: actually let me let me break in here because you mentioned mills starting the game i think that especially in this game when they needed more spacing around those post-ups when you don't have to guard parker i mean patty mills is a wetter like you have to guard him at the three-point line he's one of the best three-point shooting ones in the league if he's open the fact that he was out there with these post guys helped make that strategy going against you know james harden guarding Pau Gasol in the post uh, helped make them that much more effective.
1: Right. And this is another example of a truly deficient shooting guard really causing problems because as many talented players as most high end teams have, you don't have many hiding places. So like that was an issue for DeRozan in the Raptors series and various other series that Toronto's played in the recent past. And it was an issue for Harden here. I wanted to before, I don't know if we're getting ready to move on, but two kind of ridiculous stats that also came out of this game and more out of this playoffs. So far, home teams are now zero and nine when facing elimination in the playoffs. So far, and then a little piece of trivia I think this actually came from Jalen Rose is 10 of the 11 series so far have ended with the road team closing out the series. Can you think of the one exception?
0: The Houston Rockets. Yep. Game 5 Oklahoma City. Yeah, and that's why you're beating me by the way because I'm always <laughs> like, well, I don't want to pick a team to close it out on the it road. Is, and you've been you've been all about picking that and you uh have been more than correct uh on most of the most of these picks especially in the first round. Um last stat here, the Rockets were 9 out of 37 on two-pointers. 24% on two-pointers. That's just incredible and especially considering how few mid-range jumpers they take to shoot that badly on two-pointers. A lot of that, again, was compiled in garbage time. But nonetheless, just pretty remarkable stuff uh, from those San Antonio bigs and from their smalls who just do a great job of fighting over screens and contesting and just not letting them get anything easy. Uh, let's get to now the LA Clippers offseason preview. But first, this from our new sponsor, Ball & Branch. B-O-L-L and Branch. is the website to get the best sheets that you have ever slept on buying sheets is another one of these things where the marketing doesn't really make any sense it's impossible to go into the store and just like put your hand on the sheet and know what it's going to feel like to sleep on or know how it's going to be after it gets washed they advertise thread count but that really doesn't mean anything at all and in fact it's a myth that the higher the thread count the better the sheet uh, instead bull and branch focuses on the quality of the thread such so it's just the weight of the fabric the type of the weave the quality of the cotton rather than just inflating their thread count number to not mean anything but you know all this uh, these claims uh, i happen to really like the sheets but you have to take my word for it or theirs because they have a 30 day i guess 30 nights would be more accurate guarantee if you're not impressed by them return them for a full refund and of course you would get a nice discount $50 off of your first set of sheets plus free shipping in the US when you use the promo code cap space which of course lets them know that you came from us as well so ball and b-o-l-l and branch.com use that cap space code to get $50 off what we think will be the best sheets that you've ever slept on. So the Clippers, I think a lot of the same themes with them that we address earlier this week, talking about Toronto, just like what is important when you own a team? What is the goal basically of owning a team? And how does that fit into the context of when you've had a solid team for a long time and you need to re-sign stars who are going to be bad contracts by the end of their new deals, and you're probably not going to be in contention for a championship this year anyway. But yet the alternative is just being bad. And you know why do you want to do that? So do you resign these guys or not? But I think there are still some significant differences between this Clippers team and Toronto, even if the Clippers, of course, reside in the more difficult conference.
1: There are a couple of very important ones. I think the biggest one to me is that even at their ceiling, it's hard to see a path for the Clippers to make much noise in the Western Conference you know Toronto we never really saw it all the way you know all these pieces together you can concoct a a scenario where yeah their offense is probably going to underperform relative to their regular season success but their defense is intriguing and everything like that we've seen the Clippers they can be very good but they're also getting older they're going to be worse each year and it's harder for them to keep it together than it is for Toronto because half of Toronto's key players are already under contract
0: well so do you think because to me I actually think it's more compelling for the Clippers to just pay what it takes and keep this team together than Toronto do you feel that way as well
1: what do you mean by compelling
0: that just like if I were the owner I'd be more motivated to keep this team together in in LA than uh, with Toronto's personnel
1: I disagree with one exception which is the if they're going to try to get their own stadium then it gets complicated because then you want to have a good team out there to try to get the money or however they're going to do that unless bombers or even just a renegotiation
0: yeah I mean or even just better terms of their staple center lease which by all accounts right. is, is is pretty crappy and but- also remember too they have this they signed kind of an ad hoc like two-year extension i think with fox sports and to do their games and the price for that was you know I, I don't remember exactly but somewhere in like the 50 million per season range and the consultants that balmer hired to look at the team when he was buying it thought that they could get 100 million per season and so that's uh, now that they're not getting as much as they thought they would maybe they're not as profitable supposedly balmer like they all say says well you know if if a team is a contender I'll keep them together we'll see whether he believes this team is a contender still i don't uh but then you know they also had this issue of if their tv deal is up for renegotiation in two years and they're just absolutely horrendous at that point like now they're going to lose a lot of money there uh, as well but i think balmer less than than most owners uh he's is more viewing this as like kind of a toy and he wants to win and he gets really into the game and he sits really close and all that and it's just kind of i don't think he's as worried about the profits necessarily uh but you know maybe that's just me trying to read the tea leaves i could be wrong there
1: that's fair but if you take the balmer part out of it if it were like let's say i own the team with my own ethos and everything why i would rather take the clippers apart than the raptors is that it's it's easier and they're in a market where doing that can actually create some incentives so partially because of how massively the lakers messed up last summer there's a very good chance that the clippers next summer could be the the most put together in whatever sense you want to say of the major market teams it's because brooklyn you know they're still in their whole thing the knicks we'll see where they are at that point the lakers have all this money in, in mosgov and dang if they cleaned house they'd be in a pretty good spot i mean it's a it's it's a nice city well they so don't what is have- cleaning
0: house you're you're not you're not resigning who are you not resigning because they've got chris paul blake griffin jj reddick and then a bunch of role guys that, as well but those are the three are you gonna let all three of those guys go
1: i would consider it uh, so it, to me if reddick's leaving like if reddick is is kind of in as strange as it sounds he might be the linchpin because i am not personally comfortable if it were me signing paul or or blake griffin with the intent to trade them within a year and a half i think that's a little bit of dirty pool and i think that's the type of thing that could lead to a player not doing it unless the player is okay with that and there could be circumstances where that's possible like Blake Griffin because Griffin can get more money with the Clippers he can get that extra year if the player's cool with it then I'm totally down if they want to do that but then the other big yeah, part but, of this but is remember
0: if you're trying to rebuild and you're going to trade away a Chris Paul or a Blake Griffin like they can't really get much in the way assets but I mean I think that's right and that's get, where I you know, was
1: going to go like do those guys a year from now do those guys pass the Nene test and I think they probably do but it's hard it's hard to know for sure Yeah. Health is going to be a huge factor in that, but so to I think me, Paul
0: is more likely to than Griffin actually. To be right, honest. so would I.
1: Yeah, and and that's yeah. I I I am trying not to repeat myself because I wrote the SI preview today for it and without I had totally forgotten we were doing the Clippers today. I was just writing it anyway, and I wrote about that that I think Chris Paul is actually less scary to a team to sign than Blake is right now, just because of the yeah, way but their feel games free to repeat age.
0: yourself. I mean, I, I know that like you, I, I get this too. or like if I said something before somewhere else, like I just. Feel feel this cognitive dissonance that i'm repeating myself but you know but this is is a podcast and that's an article
1: yeah but there's and so that that ties in with the second big part of this which is deandre jordan so deandre jordan after all the drama that happened in 2015 you think oh he signed a contract he's going to be a clipper for a while he's a free agent next summer what that means as a practical matter is that he can blow this whole thing up if if he wants to do anything else. And he's gotten very close to blowing that whole thing up before. This is not a circumstance where you're sitting there going, oh, he's a he's a brand loyalist. He's not going to do that. I mean, he was basically a locked, a locked. Oh. A house away from doing that before. So if they re-signed everybody and then DeAndre left, either a he has you over a barrel and you have to give him the full max, like that. That's a possibility. And then that pro- contract's probably yeah, not going to be. Which would be, well. and
0: he would he would have he would be ten years of experience at right. that point. So you'd be, so so, be getting would be yeah, getting super
1: max with a higher cap than Chris paul's getting. And yeah, that, so you'd that have would that
0: be thirty-five million a year to start. Just, just to put in context, by the way, these contracts we're talking about. Some quick housekeeping. Paul, like Kyle Lowry, five year deal the most he could get uh 205 million blake griffin uh, his max Assuming it does not make an all NBA team this year, which is virtually impossible, would be starting at 30.3 million, five years, 175.7 million uh, for Griffin uh, if he were to re sign with the Clippers. And then if either of them were to sign elsewhere, knock a year and about 45 million bucks off of uh, almost 50 million in the case of Paul off of that contract. So four, four for 130 for Blake, four for 152 uh, for Paul with his uh, greater experience level.
1: So, yeah the deandre part of this is very important to me because if you're seeing them as an investment and everything else like that especially if they're disappointing next year deandre could basically just say like other than liking being in la that it's just not what he wants and so if he goes then you're just a husk of a team and maybe those guys pass the nana test maybe they don't you're getting into a perilous spot and then the other crazy crazy part of this clippers team is how few guys they have under contract right now so how much they're going to have to restock even if they re-signed all those guys. The Clippers only have six players under contract for next year, and only three of those players were a part of their playoff rotation. DeAndre, who's going to be expiring after next year, Jamal Crawford, who has a partial guarantee after next year, and Austin Rivers, who has a player option after next year. So you could see this entire team turn over in two years.
0: I think I would engage in one of two plans if I were Ballmer, and, and I don't think that I think they're probably just going to try to re-sign both those guys, and then Redick, I think they're probably going to let go, especially based on the reporting that's appeared in multiple places now that he wants eighteen to twenty million a year. We don't know how many years that is. You know, if it's four, that's probably no good. If it's three or two, then yeah, I think that's probably reasonable. Uh, but Broderick Turner reporting today that that's what Reddick wants, and you know many envision him, you know citing a number of league sources, some of whom might even have been with the Clippers, envision him not returning. And obviously he leaves with a sour taste after getting completely shut down in that Jazz series, and he's age 33. Uh, by the way, Paul is. 32 and Blake Griffin, a very very well worn 28 and and also uh, Turner reporting today that Griffin may not even be ready until the start of the exhibition season to like really be back at like full bore cleared for uh, you know activities. So that's another concern. I mean I I think he'll probably still get max offers anyway, but you know just in terms of like okay can he come back like will we ever see old Blake like this is another lost summer for him now. He had another one last year too. With that quadriceps uh tendon issue. But so there's uh, a long way of background here. I would do one of two things re sign Griffin and Paul, see how you're doing. Also, uh both those guys would be eligible for no trade clauses which will be very interesting. Uh, If they can negotiate those, that would be, if they want those, I'm probably, that's going to make me think twice, especially for Griffin. Uh, But, you know, they both will be eight and four guys. And you can only get a no trade clause if you sign a new contract rather than an extension. Um, And Paul wasn't eligible last time because he hadn't spent four years on the Clippers. But now, of course, he is. And and Griffin has been there for for his whole career. So that's another thing to to think about. But assuming you can get no no trade clause, I would say, all right, we're going to run it back one more time here and then next if it doesn't work out this year because you know again we still haven't been healthy these guys haven't a chance blah blah uh then deandre either at the trade deadline when is your eyes it's just clearly not working now you know we're gonna win 46 games this year we're just not that good uh you could move deandre still maybe even try to move paul and griffin at that point and just totally Hit the reset you know that's what one option because if they bring back deandre you know they're going to be like crazy into the tax next year uh they'll be crazy in the tax this year we'll talk more about that if they just bring everyone back option two which i hadn't really thought about until you mentioned it was you were saying maybe just hit the reset button i'm saying you let griffin go re-sign chris paul and then just say hey chris you know we just got to chill for this season, and then next year we can have forty-five million in cap space, which is not really that much because Paul's going to be making thirty-eight million. You got roster charges, and West Johnson will still be around making six point one million. He's not declining that player option, but maybe that can be the plan. to just like, all right, you know, maybe we can just build a whole new team around Chris Paul. If we even if we let DeAndre Jordan go, you know, he's he's going to be super overpaid on his next contract. He's relying on athleticism. We want no part of that. Maybe we can just get, as you said, there aren't going to be a ton of teams. that are looking great for 2018 free agency other than the Spurs uh, that are good and is hopefully Chris Paul stays good next year and people want to just come to LA to play to Chris Paul with Chris Paul and they can continue to put together a decent team that has like some more flexibility going forward what do you think of that idea
1: I think you're putting a lot of eggs in the Chris Paul basket and I love Chris Paul I've been a huge fan of his for a long time but that's a lot for a small 33 year old point guard and the Clippers I I mean
0: I think people keep saying always small but like you know I, I think he's he's really proven that he's not that reliant on like his height or anything like the idea that he's small i think if that were going to be the issue i think it already would have been the issue you know i, think well, I mean there's just there's just a history
1: there's just a history of short point guards not being not being long and you can make an argument that because he's strong yeah. because he but plays he's not than he's himself. not
0: he hasn't been beating people with quickness for the right. last three years already right, right. like, I, like I it's I not like you, the but reason but that's the case yeah so so mm-hmm. i i my personal opinion is i think he's going to he already has aged better than a lot of those guys you know even like tony parker i think he's going to age way better than tony parker and, and his shooting is still going to be you know really good and, and he's still strong so he can switch and, he, and i mean like the fact that he plays the, the level of defense that he plays at this age is size is ridiculous but anyway i digress
1: take all that at face value and and i love chris paul even so do you think that a mid sorry a late 20s like paul george type for example would rather hitch his wagon to an already locked in and no trade club Chris Paul or any other player that they could get that that might be interested either that year or the next year because the Clippers if they cleared their books that dominantly they wouldn't have any like it wouldn't be like they would have any guys cropping up in terms of expenses it would be years before anybody got really expensive I think that you would rather have the openness of LA and everything else in another city like if that your Chris Paul plan I think in, in other places would be even more tantalizing but in LA I think that I would rather choose the open books and as long as you had somebody that you trusted to actually make good draft picks, which is not talk rivers.
0: No, it's Rock Divers.
1: Excellent point, but but that and that ties in with. So I made the comment about how you know they only have six guys under contract and only three of them played in the postseason or were in the postseason rotation because technically West Johnson played. West Johnson seems like a misfire by Doc. Either Rock the GM or Doc the coach. We don't really know which one. Yeah, but just one of the no
0: two- communication in that between no. the front office and the coaching staff no. whatsoever. The, hem-
1: the hemispheres, the hemispheres are just off. The other two are Bryce Johnson, the, the Chinese
0: who, Wall in in, uh, in Rock Divers. Uh, Mind is uh is strong, I guess. It,
1: it is apparently, and so Bryce Johnson never want to write off a guy who's a rookie, but he doesn't look like anything special when I've seen him play. And then Diamond Stone, intriguing talent. You know, maybe he ends up being a rotation guy. He's a second round pick. Big whoop. That's it. Like the cupboard is basically bare, but their future obligations are really weird because the only pick they owe after this year, they don't have any draft picks this season, is a lottery protected first that reverts into a second round pick so if they take a little bit of time to get moving they're fine
0: yeah that's at least the the one thing compared to like some of these others where they at least have protected those picks uh lottery wise but yeah i mean it's pretty i mean let's say they bring all these guys back just to give you an idea what the tax bill would be if they re-sign chris paul and blake you're 26 million dollars over the cap six million dollars over the over the tax so you're going to be limited to even if balmer is willing to spend the mini mid-level which would be basically the most you can offer is a three-year 16 million dollar contract with that uh and then you're basically you're then limited to a bunch of minimums uh and their needs at that point would be a starting two a starting three a backup four a backup five a backup one and because rock doesn't trust west johnson a backup three uh unless you want to say that uh austin rivers is now your starting two and actually both rivers actually has a player option at the end of next year crawford i think has. three million guaranteed in uh for the 18-19 season so that's money that they might be able to get off next year you know as they're as i'm talking about them potentially rebuilding the team uh it's just like that's just too many things though that they need i mean like they were had no depth when they had jj reddick making seven million a year and now you're gonna lose him and they have no way to replace him other than the mini-mid level uh i mean they just doc rivers has done admirably with the limited resources at his disposal but and this is going to press even that i mean you can't just keep filling out these incredibly huge needs with minimum contracts and like one small exception contract every year because they have absolutely no rookies who are going to do anything bryce johnson i mean i'm sure as hell not counting on him to do anything next year uh there's no reason to do that stone uh, stone actually i might give him a shot at some backup five minutes but i don't know if this organization will do that and other than that, you know, they have no other young prospects. They haven't been able to find, like, cheap guys who are young that they could develop. All those guys that they bring in are old. Um, so I don't know. Uh, it, it's pretty difficult. We should talk a little bit more about some of their other free agents, though, Danny, who, you know, other than those big three of Reddick and Griffin and Paul. And, and by the way, if they bring back Reddick as well, They are 21 million over the tax, and that's with only nine guys on the roster. So you're already looking at a, and that's assuming Reddick would play for 15 million. He's probably going to want more than that. But maybe they say, hey, we'll give you more years. uh, And if you'll do 15 million. So then they are. 20 million over the tax more than that and total team salary is 206 million and that's before you even use any like uh mini mid-level or you know just fill out your roster they only got nine guys in that situation so it's hard to imagine that balmer would green light that kind of a tax bill for a team that just is not realistically a championship contender so you have to imagine that either reddick's out the door or they find a way to move crawford or rivers uh if uh Reddick does return, but again, it seems pretty unlikely that he will.
1: You want to talk about their other free agents? We certainly should. Luke Richard and Bob Mute has a player option worth 2.3 million. He will decline that, and he can either re-sign with the Clippers as an early bird guy. That's a possibility, but again, they're not going to have much money. And then he could also just sign somewhere else. He can sign wherever he wants. Most Bates 2.1 million player option. Expect that he will decline that as well. Then Is their it, other 2.1 million. No, I, I don't I, think it's
0: that much. Well, oh, I think oh, because, because it goes that's the up new minimum. To the minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Yeah. Okay.
1: And so, so yeah. Because because his his goes up uh and then the other ones are ray felton straight unrestricted brandon bass unrestricted alan anderson forgotten and unrestricted
0: (laughs) and as you mentioned no picks this year uh So let's say they don't bring Reddick back. They bring back Paul and Griffin. That seems like the most likely scenario to me if if those guys want to stay and they're going to pay them. I mean, they basically anybody who can play at all, but I'm just trying to think of guys who might be available for some of the resources that they have Uh, at point guard. You know, maybe they could bring back Felton by, you know, dipping into their main mid level. I think Felton can get more than just the straight up minimum this year. The backup point guard market is not that good. A lot of teams need backup point guards. Otherwise, you know, it's kind of Brandon Jennings Kings, Jose Calderon, like that kind of level of guy. Uh, try to make Austin Rivers or, or Crawford a point guard, both of whom have desperately failed in that role. Uh, anyone else you think at point guard that might be realistic for them, you know, given the, the resources they have? And of course, I mean, they're going to need to start playing Paul less minutes, too. That's another issue.
1: Did your Jack ever have a good game against Stock in the playoffs? <laughs>
0: Uh, no. By the time the Warriors and Clippers played, Jack was already on uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers.
1: So, yeah, I think the point guard market is thin, but I think that the most compelling use of their money in that circumstance would be if, and this is a massive if, any of the swingman shooters just get a a more tepid market than they expect to give them a one-year make good. I don't think, I I seem like I'm throwing him out for almost every spot, but CJ Miles would be interesting. Just if like, let's say the market is is just a a little bit flatter for him. If he could start, you know, start for the clippers probably put up a ton of points just because there there will be opportunities he'll get fed by chris paul that option is there but the problem is a lot of those shooting guys are a little bit older you know they're nick young is 32 cj miles is 30 kyle corver is 36 are they really going to take the risk of a one-year deal with the clippers for the mid-level exception it's hard to say
0: no and maybe it would be more than one year too but uh i mean i think there are a lot of bigs i'm less concerned about their bigs i think think they they could just get like four of these guys who are kind of reclamation projects and hopefully you know two of them work out uh on the wing the pickings are a lot slimmer i think maybe like brandon rush might be someone that they could look at uh jody meeks gerald green uh, anthony morrow uh maybe tabo cephalosha if the, if the market is worse for cephalosha than we think it might be matt barnes could always come back uh he's going 38 next year um but i think that's like the type of market that we're talking about here and we don't even know if balmer is going to green light using the entire mini mid-level uh and then how long of a contract they can give out with that, even
1: either. It's a good point because you the, you have the those extended costs if they've re-signed Paul and Griffin. You you have to look at the future then because those guys are just going to stay on the books.
0: So I, I predicted that Griffin and Paul will return. What do you believe?
1: I think the same. I think that the Clippers are going to offer both of them lucrative five-year deals, probably their max, and both of them will stay. Whether they finish those contracts in yeah. LA is a different question, but I think they will both be Clippers to start next year.
0: Do you think one or both of them? Get a no trade clause. Oh I mean, after this mellow saga, Paul, I could give a no trade clause too, because I think just he the idea of him just being, you know, the greatest clipper ever. And, and Blake Griffin is like kind of a franchise icon a, as well. And maybe just the fact that these guys, you know, were both on this team for 10 years for a team that has no history. And Blake Griffin, at least like once was a star. Maybe you can continue to sell him long after he actually, you know, is gonna be a championship level a player. Uh but man, I mean
1: got it. How to your- how is it to think of him as their kobe but that's not that far off
0: their kobe except like five years younger but he's at like reaching the level of effectiveness well no that but kobe the idea, the the idea like of him being
1: like one of the best guys in franchise history and so you just kind of keep him around to sell tickets and that sort of thing i don't think yeah. he's there yet but you're the idea is that you have to be thinking about that fourth and fifth year kind of in that vein just because that's being practical yeah. he could outperform that but that's the way we have to think about it
0: uh will rock divers and doc rivers be in la next year
1: yes according to this plan i mean he he. first of all he'd be leaving a lot of money on the table and the other huge part of this is timing like if 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 he knew today that they were going to not resign chris paul and blake griffin maybe he'd be trying to figure out a way to get into orlando or one of these other opportunities he's probably not going to know that until july 3rd or 4th or wherever yeah. you can't you can't change horses then that's not going to work
0: and, and, and he also is making 11 million dollars a year and no matter where else he goes it's hard to Imagine him making that much or having the the, level of power that he has.
1: I don't know. The Devosses have a lot of money, so they could maybe go in that direction.
0: All right. We're going to move on to Memphis momentarily, but first, this from our friends at Ceso S-E-E-S-O.com, will get you two weeks free of awesome comedy. If you ever wanted to go to Miami with Jonah Ray, how about Honolulu, Washington, D.C.? You can visit all these great places and more in the second season of Hidden America with Jonah Ray, a travel show parody where the places are real, but the people are not. Stream every episode, including the brand new second season now on Ceso. You also get unlimited access to Next Day Late Night, British cult comedy, stand-up specials, and binge-worthy classics like All 42 seasons of snl which is my personal favorite and the entire monty python catalog it's all on demand and ad free you can access it anytime anywhere almost any device iphone android roku amazon fire tv windows xbox one for just $3.99 a month and that's after of course you get the two weeks free using the promo code capspace at checkout which lets them know that you came from us that's cso.com s-e-e-s-o.com promo code capspace so Memphis is not nearly as complex. They've made it through these last two off seasons, retaining their two franchise icons, Conley and Marc Gasol. And frankly, in terms of just those two guys, they're better off than we thought. I mean, those those two guys both played better this year. Gasol coming off that broken foot. Conley, you know, getting up into his late 20s now, shot the ball better than ever. Uh, I think he averages most points per game. He was fantastic in the playoffs against San Antonio. It's just that the rest of the team is, is kind of let them down. And of course, Chandler Parsons, they have him cluttering their books this season to the tune of... 23 million dollars and then 24 and 25 million the next two years. So that leaves them now in a situation where they have these free agents, Zach Randolph, Jermichael Green, Tony Allen, Vince Carter as well. But uh, you know, he's 41, so not as much of a priority. And they basically, this is not the type of team that I think is gonna be a tax team, just given their small market, their ownership, and frankly, where they are in terms of contention. So they've essentially got 26 million to fit Randolph, Green, and Allen and stay below the tax. Do you think that they could do that?
1: They probably need at least one of those guys to take less than their full market value, but
0: yeah, Tony Allen did say, you know, I'm not trying to break the bank, but you know, we'll see what his idea of breaking the bank and everyone else's is too. But he he says he wants right, to stay, so and, I, and Randolph, you know, I think like that is one thing they have going for them is they kind of have like a more family type of atmosphere there.
1: And those guys have reached greater heights in their career than I think we expected by virtue of being in Memphis, and there is a benefit to being an institution. And also, I don't think those two are going to see particularly robust markets just because of where they are in their whole careers so maybe memphis has not more leverage but maybe they have a little bit better negotiating position than they would have before so it will be weird that jermichael green will probably be the highest paid of the three just considering his contributions to the team
0: green a restricted free agent uh he's 27 randolph will be 35 and Allen also 35 just for the record there
1: so jermichael green part of it his appeal is a matter of perspective he shot 38 percent from three this year at a pretty good attempt rate but really, it's really i the first I, time I thought his a... attempt
0: rate i thought his attempt rate was actually pretty low like he i thought he was shooting like you know two a game or something like
1: that. well no it's it, in but in terms of the proportion of shots it's 29 of his att- of his of his shooting attempts he's just a low usage player so you okay. know
0: yeah but he... I, I still think i would if if i'm really believing in him as like a stretch four guy uh and I, you know i think he can be a good player and he shot well in the playoffs but i, I think he needs to be shooting four threes a game five threes a game not two
1: sure and and i think that's certainly fair to note but i mean and you and also we're drawing this on a guy who only who made 55 threes this year like that's his career high he right. never made more than 15 in a season so i would not be betting on that if i were a GM as being a big part yeah. of his profile he is a talented guy in other ways but it's the, basically what you're selling yourself on is okay if he can be a league average or below league average power forward. he's 27 you're not taking that much much downside risk into this in terms of aging maybe you are in terms of representative performance so you know maybe you could do that hope we hope that he can switch a little bit more maybe he can fit in better with a little bit faster of a team but the problem for memphis is that there just aren't that many guys like him on the mark
0: yeah that's a combo forward type of guys like him who can shoot a little bit who can switch still has some athleticism although he's not quite as he was like close to a nuclear i think that was actually an interesting question that we got on the the twitter nba show that we should repeat at some point of like who are the nuclear athletes in, in the league to really like think about that but uh he's not quite there anymore at 27 he's older now uh past his athletic peak i think that you know between Considering he's also restricted, I mean, maybe he could just, some team would be like, hey, we're just going to pay him $16 million a year because we kind of run out of options and hey, why not? But I think more fair for him, I don't see him as like really quite, you know, a guy you're like that high on for a starter, at least uh, offensively. So I'm thinking of him as more kind of, you know, high-end backup, low-end starter then you maybe a little bit of a depressed market because he's restricted and so you know between eight and 12 million a year for three years maybe a, maybe a fourth year you know that it's either going to be i think like the amount of guaranteed money for him will probably end up between 30 and 40 million dollars uh that's kind of where i think it'll it'll land uh i'm good with end. that
1: I'll, i want to ask yeah. you a question you you i think you feel i feel like you know jermichael's game better than i do what do you yeah. think is a a good fit for a center next to him excluding you know elite guys who can do everything
0: like what type of player
1: yeah like do you so do you need you need a good rim protector next to him obviously so like because he's well, not
0: I, I, he, I mean i don't know why you and nobody no power forwards really are good rim protectors yeah. anymore There's so like four so good power forwards who can because basically
1: what i'm what way. i'm thinking about is does he have any sort of like a unique sales pitch like something that he brings to the table for a team like sacramento or something because a part of the free agency that i've gotten better at projecting over time though i'm still not perfect is the guys who just have something specific that makes the team fall in love with them like they're shooting or you know maybe they can ball hand- they have better ball handling than usual for their position because it only takes one team to fall in love with a guy I mean I think Alan Crabb is a good example of this Alan Crab's actually a special ability with scarcity but he got you know he got a ton of money and in this case the reason why I'd be a little scared if I was Memphis is if you put if you liked him enough that you could put that you could justify a high number you could believe that they might not match because of the luxury tax
0: yeah that's a good point especially because because you think they kind of have to bring back randolph and allen uh and i think like the appeal of green is just that he doesn't really have any major weaknesses that you can tell if in fact he can shoot well enough that you have to guard him out there which it seems like he has i mean we don't really know that for sure but uh so i think uh, like and we've seen in the playoffs how important it is just having players who aren't like all right this guy can be an okay defender he can switch we're not going to take advantage of him and he can hit a shot so we can't just not guard him just having somebody like that uh sometimes that's that's even more useful than you know Lou Williams, who yeah he can get really hot on offense, but then like you can just play him off the floor defensively and just go right at him. And, you know he really struggled to defend it in that Spurs series. You know sometimes someone like Green is just is more useful in a playoff setting. Now you know Memphis, we're talking about the first round here too, so it, it's uh I mean I think his ability to switch is useful to kind of around maybe slower centers just to just help prevent penetration to begin with and so you know i think he's a useful player but he's also not someone where it's like all right if he if he gets offered 15 million a year i think memphis just says all right you know what it's like we're our son is kind of setting on this group anyway let's just bring back Allen and randolph and you know as long as it's not for a couple more than two more years hope that parsons uh can get healthy and then you know we won't need green as much um we still got james ennis and you know, we can get something out of brandon Wright. go with some too big looks or we can go with uh hope that jarell martin can contribute now we've got deontay davis uh a, a guy that we're high on another thing they could do too to try and clear off a little more space would be just move brandon right uh i think that probably he would be movable i think he would actually be a nice backup center target for all of these teams he actually played fine this year his stats are kind of the same as they always were coming off of basically a year and not playing And then, you know, he was out of the rotation by the playoffs just because he can't really fit next to Gasol or or Randolph very well against a lot of teams. But I think he could make a great backup center for a lot of teams still.
1: I agree with you on that. And one of the unusual characteristics of Memphis this year is that outside of Chandler Parsons, they they have a lot of movable salary, but none of it is expensive. So, you know, it's kind of like it's hard for them to clear space just because it's so concentrated in Chandler Parsons, who I don't think anybody really wants right now he's he's not a permanently toxic asset but he is a toxic asset for right now and they but the good part about that is that they have a lot of money or they have a lot of roster spots tied up in players that i think are actually intriguing or good you know like ns you mentioned yeah between baldwin and harrison yeah. i think you can get a decent player they have a not uh, they have a team option actually technically on wayne selden he he showed some flashes in the playoffs you know
0: yeah even uh, though- Ju- june 24th is when they have to decide on that wayne, mm-hmm. but yeah i thought i thought wayne had some athleticism and his shot looked okay I, I would be willing to keep him around yeah, so unless we get some better options.
1: I think their front office has done a nice job identifying guys and not giving them not giving them bad contracts. Troy Daniels wasn't as impactful as I'd hoped this year, but he's making three million. Who cares? You know, that that's totally fine. He's yeah. a still worthwhile gamble. And so that is a good place to be, but it does make it harder in the very, very near term in terms of like if they can bring back these guys but they're trying to squeeze them for an extra couple million, that gets harder to do.
0: Randolph, my prediction for him is around maybe two years 20 million maybe a partial non-guarantee on on a third year you know just for like a couple of million like kind of similar to the Al Jefferson contract from last year he'll he'll chafe at that because he's better than Jefferson but again you know not as much money around. maybe it's a hometown he said Randolph has made you know well over you know 150 million dollars in his career so uh and then Tony Allen maybe something like two years 12 million something along those lines might be reasonable for him and then you know if you could get green at, at three for 30 and Randolph off two for 20 allen two for 12 you can probably narrowly skirt the tax maybe they would need to make some moves during the season you know uh and but let's say you know they're able to bring back most of these guys what do you see them as needing here uh if they're going to try and add a little bit i mean they probably will be limited to the taxpayer mid-level um rather than the full mid-level they'll they've the apron is six million above the tax but you probably you can't exceed that for any reason so you're probably going to be limited to the mini mid-level unless you lose one of Green, Randolph, or Allen. Mini mid-level is $5 million and and uh, the full mid-level is $8.4 to start this year.
1: I think what you would want, and this actually ties in pretty well with the idea of just maybe not spending the whole amount there if they need to, is more options at a couple of different spots. So basically, another point guard would be nice. You know, maybe, it's, maybe yeah. Andrew Harrison works out, maybe Wade Baldwin works out, but just another option there. If you trade Brandon Wright, another option at center in case Deontay, Jarrell, in case those guys aren't ready. And then on the wing, I, I think that it'd be the best spot there would be to have another another two. I like James Ennis as a backup three. I have been I, I'm a fan of his talent, and I thought he showed yeah. some he had showed some nice burst. So you just kind of you kind of want a couple of guys, and and that also ties in that they just don't have that many needs for roster spots. So you they need to be just really good at, at processing that, or if they can get players to take their money that they like, they should be able to get out of one or two of those contracts and just basically choose one guy over another one. But you look at some of the players who were gobbling up roster spots let's say for the orlando magic or even for the clippers you've player players like i don't i don't even know who would be on this team maybe let's say wayne Seldon. like if if they picked up wayne Seldon's option i think there would be a team that would just happily take him on
0: maybe i mean he keep in mind he was available nearly oh i guess he had a 10 day first with new orleans but and he started in the playoffs i mean maybe that gives him a little bit more gravitas uh i mean i think they definitely need a more veteran point guard option but maybe more of like someone on the borderline between second and third point guard type of player you know so jose calderon again i mean not that i think he's really that good but you know he could reunite with marcus soul just be like a veteran mentor and games where like harrison is just kind of blowing it like calderon can come in and be steady hit some shots uh potentially out of their price range but i don't think so like ray felton ty lawson you know uh might be one that they could look at they've had some success there with troubled souls over the years uh and then i think they definitely need Uh, a if it's not in the backup point guard they need some kind of like a pure gunner type of guy just someone who can score create something on their second unit i mean because they really they had to go to zach randolph in the post every time and that really just didn't work that well so like shabazz muhammad depending on what happens with his uh qualifying offer in minnesota and whether minnesota decides to use cap space and jettison him uh tyreek evans again is a reclamation type of type of contract you know maybe like uh five million with a second year player option for uh, tyreek evans might might be a thought or then even lower down the scale an aaron brooks type of guy or a rodney sucky type of guy just somebody who can do something off the dribble and just like create a few shots here and there uh there are not that many of those guys on the market this year but they i think they desperately need one
1: marcus thornton might be an option too but i think he's past passed oh prime god
0: there. yeah no he's i mean he's more just like i'm talking about someone who at least can like break the paint on occasion um where are they at in terms of future draft picks and this year's draft pick?
1: Not great, Bob. They're, so I don't think I, this wasn't a part of the plan at all, but I do love that both of the teams that we're covering have protected pick obligations to the Boston Celtics. So the the both actually involving Jeff Green, which is even better. I, I mean, believe. Yeah,
0: and and uh yes, that that is no, that is not. Yes correct. it is.
1: It is. Because I I think so cuz the, the the I because it one happened in two moves. So basically the Clippers pick was when they acquired when they acquired Jeff Green, then they sent that pick. No, they can't be both involved in that. That doesn't make any sense.
0: No, I told I told you that. It, it's uh no, Memphis has Oh, no, you know what it is? It is that that because that pick that they got for jeff green from the clippers then got sent for 31 and 35 in the the 2013 draft so they traded this year's pick yeah so it is you are right about that uh and so they still have uh raid zagorach who is number 35 in 2016 I, i uh I think he's a serbian swingman. he might be another Balkan country i can't remember off the top of my head but uh i don't but know if we he's should, gonna we be go playing through, on coming over but
1: we should clarify yeah, the yeah, protection the, on the pick to the celtics so yeah. it's it's top eight protected in 2019 then top six protected in in 2020 and then unprotected in 2021
0: yeah and they screwed that up like they for jeff green in the last year of his deal i mean like or he, as it appeared at the time everyone thought he was gonna opt out like you should have been able to get lottery protection on that like jeff green is just not that good i don't know what danny ainge did i mean that's that pick is one of the best picks out there because this memphis team is going to be in struggle city over like 2019 2020 2021 uh and then they do not have their own first rounder this year uh that was initially in the most spates trade uh, and that now belongs to denver it went to cleveland and then was part of the Timofey mozgov package going from cleveland to denver uh so they are definitely draft pick poor it's just a question of kind of how long they can hang on you know i mean 43 wins this year is not very good i don't really see how they better that next year unless they get major production from some of these young guys like martin and davis and harrison takes a step forward and and of course parsons can like actually play a full season which you know you you, you really wonder whether that's ever going to be possible again. i mean i i'm if i'm memphis i am planning like he's not going to play next year and, and then if he plus, does, well, you can never have too many wings.
1: Plus Conley and Gasol, they, they played 74 and 69 games respectively. I think that's a fair benchmark moving forward. Gasol, you know, Gasol only missed eight games and Conley, he gets nicked up. You know, he, he's he's a Terminator, but he's going to miss a little bit of time. And that that's fine. And so if that's where you were and the team had, I think well, their net rating was pretty close to even. Yeah, they, I think they were plus 0.5. So they were basically a 500 team. They ended up 43 and 39. Yeah, so if they're a little bit worse than that, and if and then there's also the the possibility of disaster potential just if one of those guys gets really hurt. We've already seen it before.
0: One of the sections that we have on here is what's the effect on their future flexibility of any signings this year. Well, they can't sign that much, and they basically will not have any possibility of cap space because they've got Gasol, Parsons, and Conley together make at least 80 million over the next three seasons. So Gasol is a player option in that last year, but it is likely that they would. Not have cap space unless they move one of those three guys until the summer of 2020. It's a long time, and they are going to be in very, very great difficulty. I mean, what I foresee happening ultimately, and, and you know, maybe it's just like Conley and Gasol stay here forever. But I mean, if those if those two guys are staying here forever and they're making the money that they're slated to make, and Parsons as well, it might be untradeable Like if all those guys are still on the team in 2020, I mean, they're going to be winning 30 games, like. Acts, probably unless they can just pull some stars like out of their ass from like these late draft picks or, or free agent guys or whatever
1: also Chandler Parsons in particular like let's say this goes really badly there is a not an amnesty provision in this CBA and his contract is so big and it kind of ties in with the late end of it I don't think you'd even want to stretch him because then you're throwing like eight mil a year on for a couple of years and that's a lot of money that's more than Terran Williams
0: yeah yeah it's a lot more than a, than a couple of years and uh, so I mean maybe you would say if it were. Another team, but you know Gasol and Conley kind of have like the, everyone seems to have this love affair with Memphis, which is a, a credit to their organization and to the city that people don't want to leave. But you know, uh, on most organizations, you would say, okay, you know, now we're winning forty games every year. Conley and Gasol are still pretty good, but not like good enough at their salaries to like carry a team to fifty wins. So now you trade those guys to some other teams that are more contendery, and you, you maybe take back some bad salary and you start to rebuild. But if those guys don't want to be traded, then, uh, your uh what are you going to do are you going to move them or or you know th- that'll be an interesting drama here in memphis that could i think manifest as early as you know next summer if, if they don't make the playoffs this year which i think is a distinct possibility
1: and the young bucks in the west are only going to keep coming you know the, the teams like minnesota and even if if you know we never know if sacramento is going to get their act together but there are a lot of these new teams. orleans
0: will be better next year
1: at, at some point phoenix might figure it out like not only the likely teams but you start to get into some of the the unlikely ones that they're rolling the dice enough times that they're going to start to get get in these possibilities and that's a real problem when you also consider that the teams the similarly old teams are going to age probably better than memphis will
0: yeah all right i think we're done here thanks so much for watching don't forget to check out dunked on video on my youtube i'm tweeting that out as well uh nate duncan on youtube and that is basically just a recap as we called it live on the twitter nba show of the spurs run that broke the game open their 19 to 3 run we're going to be doing for most of these games. That video recap hopefully help you get into the Twitter NBA show as well, which will be back for game 6 of Boston and Washington and then We also will be doing a special edition of the show tomorrow night as well because we took off Wednesday night, so we'll be doing Friday night instead. Stay tuned for that. Oklahoma City and Chicago off-season previews, both uh, very interesting in addition to that wrap-up of Game 6, Boston and Washington. And our sponsors today, don't forget about them as well. CISO, ciso CISO.com, offer code CATSPACE, get your first two weeks free. And and Branch B-O-L-L and BRANCH, CATSPACE code gets you $50 off. Oh, and don't forget about our Patreon as well patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue if you enjoy our content and like to support it in particular the Twitter NBA show and I promise I won't spend as much time plugging this stuff as before and also check out Danny's uh, offseason previews on Sports Illustrated so now we are done here and uh we'll catch you next time at Bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar